0: Great. Did you, are you a lifelong people person bringing people in and kicking people out?
1: I actually haven't. I just started in the people function a year and three months ago. Before that, I was actually in management consulting for quite some time. So
0: Okay. Management consulting is just a, a puppeteer higher up on the chain that's that's helping the people who are managing the people, right? <laughs> yeah, I
1: wasn't even that involved in that, but I always was fascinated by people topics. And so um, it happened uh, that when I moved back to Berlin, that I was very much intrigued by the topic as well as the company I'm always uh,
0: and Teresa are you a, a lifer when it comes to managing people?
2: Yeah. Um, yes I am it's uh, about 18 years plus give or take uh, I've been doing human resources uh, people-oriented stuff uh, change project management transformations so, um, been around the block a little. Excellent. We're getting to show.
0: <laughs> hey I don't see anything it looks bright and clear here. No rain, no no uh, no nothing going on like that. So we are officially live. And for those of you joining us here on the Scale-Up Heroes podcast, I'm just having some chit-chat with Desiree and Teresa. And they are coming from Berlin and London, respectively. Uh, Desiree uh, Castell is the people and culture person at Zeigold. And that's out of Berlin. And then Teresa uh, St. Catherine, she's an interim head of people at Signal Media. And we've got these people, people on because we're going to be talking about scaling up talent. And you're listening to this podcast, which is supported by uh, ScaleUpAcademy.io, where essentially uh, we help address the real burning issues that happen with scale ups. And if you don't know what a scale up is, it's just like the word startup, but spelt a little bit differently to signify that there is money and there is lack of constraint, there is lack of uh, resources. But the money's supposed to fill that. And then you got to get people in there in a short amount of time to scale and grow and take over whatever marketplace that you're taking over. And when it comes to all of that, this whole scaling is a constant. And today we're going to talk about scaling talent. And that is probably one of the most potentially expensive, one of the most uh, beneficial, one of the most core processes and products when it comes to scaling up your business, and it's the product of people. So today we're going to talk about some of the challenges when it comes to finding out how to scale and then how to keep them and how to uh, attract more top talent along those lines. But before we do that, let's just get a little background on where these people people are coming from. And Desiree, why don't you explain a little bit more about what your company does and how you are helping to fit the people and culture uh, within your organization?
1: Sure. Um, so Zeitgold is about three years old. We're about a hundred people now between Berlin and Tel Aviv, um, and we're automating all administrative processes for small business owners. Um, so we're automating payroll, bookkeeping, accounting, um, and thereby sort of helping them save quite significant amount of time. Um, hmm. And yeah, I'm and my people team is uh, quite small still. So I'm uh, we are uh, two office managers as well as t- uh, two recruiters. Uh, and myself and um, we are focusing on everything when it comes to obviously recruiting as well as um, managing everything around how, how we actually then like run the organization from a people perspective, professional development and, um, and do ever more analytics in the past couple of months, so getting on top of that.
0: I dig it. I just wrote down you said something about people perspective and then you threw a couple other P's in there. I like the alliteration, <laughs> <That's> good. <laughs> All right, that's uh, I, I like that you're you're taking the automation tool. I was recently at a, a chatbot conference, and one thing that stuck out they're saying, look, you know, technology and bots and, and things like this, and those are all great at doing the simple stuff that humans don't want to do, which frees up mm-hmm. the time for all the complicated stuff that humans are great at that they need more time for. Mm-hmm. So, Teresa, why don't you tell us a little bit about where you're coming from and what what problems you're solving?
2: Sure, yeah. So um, I sort of uh, currently sit with a company called uh, Sigma Media Limited, and we are a media monitoring intelligence uh, company. So um, we have this awesome piece of technology uh, that ingests a number of, um, well, millions of pieces of data and information that come from broadcast or print or or radio or whatever, that's all converted. Um, It's ingested into this wonderful piece of kit, and then out comes um, knowledge in the form of sort of data insights and it's mainly reputational based. Um, so it is um, very extremely valuable for organizations from um, you know well many different organizations actually many different industries um, we tend to target the public relations communications uh, teams um, that's our inroad to um, sharing what we've got as a sort of like a, a almost like a press release feed if you like and this can be uh, it is real-time data and info uh, but the feeds can come in at certain times and our clients get the opportunity to log into platform as well um, so in, in a number of seats so it's an annual subscription uh, understandably like like most of the, the tech startups we've been around for five and a half years and um, we currently have just under 100 people and continuing to scale so yes so that's a little bit about um, signal and um, in terms of the people function we uh, I mean I, ca- I came in about just about nine months ago now very much looking at building up the people function itself But also uh, considering how we can uh, tackle uh, talent acquisition uh, in the scale up, as well as culture and engagement, really important items to our CEO and, uh, you know, uh, coaching and leadership development, uh, among many other sort of uh, typical people type uh, functional stuff.
0: So, well, yeah. I think those are all of the topics that we want to hit today, and we can't hit them all. But I encourage yeah. you to weave all of that into your answers. <laughs> and it's funny because both of both of your jobs is to make the company uh, look better, have a better cultural fit. Um, uh, you know, they're very high and lofty goals, but at the same time, scale ups are very resource constrained. So on that theme. Um, Desiree, maybe you can start us off with your experience about scaling up through agencies versus in-house recruiters. And I know that you're a smaller team, so maybe it's just all in-house recruiters. Tell me about that process of of outsourcing or having somebody else help with that recruitment process.
1: Um, yeah, sure. So we actually have, I think, um, 90% or 95% of our positions, which were like, I think, 70 in the last 12 months, um, or like just of 70 people we've hired.
0: Wow, um, wait, where wait I you, just, you just hired 70 people?
1: Yeah, in the, in the <laughs> last 12 months. And so okay. I think- um, uh, for us, uh, yeah, we're it's it's crazy, and there's still many positions to fill. Uh, but I think uh, what we've tried to do is actually to do most of that in-house, um, and um, we have worked with agencies in, in some capacity, but with very limited success, I have to say. Hmm. Um, so we've been working um, with with one or two who's been involved. Um, but otherwise, um, it's been like much more focused actually on in-house recruiting because we found we just have best um, access actually also through through our own networks as well as like the, the rest of the company. And we um, found that it works just better in terms of um, the time we invest as well as what we get out.
0: Would you say looking back on those 70 employees, is there a ratio of – what your in-house team is responsible for as opposed to an outside source? Um, You said that there was a few that worked really good and I'm a big fan of the 80-20 rule and even it to 99-1, right? You might find one outsourced um, person that has a whole slew of them, but what would the ratio be from those numbers of 70? uh, Five
1: out of of 70, yeah.
0: Wow, okay, so it was really an in-house effort uh, that really made it through networks. Yeah. I'm curious, uh, Teresa, your thoughts on that and how how you're yeah. doing this. You're a little bit more of an aged company and you've you've got more of that. How many how, have you hired seventy people in the last couple of months? <laughs> uh,
2: no we've uh, we've hired about fifty in the last wow. month. So, okay. uh, we're not we're not as we're not in, uh, uh, patch just yet, <laughs> but uh, closely behind, closely behind. And okay. I, guess, I guess definitely by the end of the year, we, 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 without doubt, we'll have an additional uh, twenty or so in that in that bucket. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, you know, my experience—I suppose really my experience of agencies and working with them—I I think it's sort of based on a number of factors, depending on the type of sort of you know startup scale up you are. I think you've you've got to have the for the in house team, you've got to have that uh, person capabilities. Um, so they've got to have the knowledge, skills, and um, attitude to be able to to deal with that that level of scale up. And um, they've also got to have those resources and tools so that headhunting sort of capability, along with the tracking system, that that re, you know requires a really good experience from start to finish and i think if you know if you are still a bit of an unknown brand in the marketplace um, you're challenged with that somehow in terms of you know extracting talent uh, into an un- an unknown brand or a limited brand and therefore you know there's a story to tell around who you are and sometimes you might need that agency who's got the network got the market uh, knowledge uh, who's got the contacts uh, who actually can tell that story on your behalf so as a consequence i think you know um there is a some type of balance needed um, now, you know, we, we have been using agencies to support us and that's simply perhaps maybe around sort of capable a question around capabilities as well, I think it's fair to say. Um, and, you know, I would say, you know, in terms of a ratio, perhaps, you know, thus far, we're somewhere in the sort of like the 50, the 50 sort of 50. 60 40 where you know yeah. where um internal versus agencies in 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 that in that way around and i think that you know we still have a little bit to go but we have brought um what what, what was really uh helpful for us to, is, to, is to bring sort of anyone this year about mayish we brought in a tech uh in-house recruiter
0: mm. and
2: you know and that worked really well to our advantage so for you know tech's not that easy to to hit and, and crack and, um, you know, for about the four to six hours that we've got in the, in the tech and the data science capacity, the majority of those have come through in-house rather than through an agency. And, and, that, and that's helped us massively.
0: Now question, I'm going to put on my ignorant hat right here, right? Now I'm wearing my ignorant hat. Okay.
2: <laughs>
0: when you're dealing with these outside services, um, is there a way, are there ways to protect yourself as a company from unseen costs? And by that, I mean, if you're looking to hire an outside agency, could you come in and say, we're only looking for somebody that's going to be performance-based, or we're only looking for structuring it a certain way to protect yourself? Because um, you know, in in Desiree's situation, they only had five of the 70, but what if they had invested Mm -hmm. a lot of time and effort from a contractual agreement? So are there any things to look out for when it comes to dealing with um, recruiters that you've learned from experience? You're like, whoa, I, I really want to tell the new people who are coming into this to protect yourselves by having a certain type of agreement or, or whatnot. Um, Desiree, did you, did you feel that you had any protection against too high of costs because their, their end result really didn't get you that much?
1: Um, yeah, what we tried to do, um, in, in any case, whenever we work with a recruiter, um, be very straight and strict about the terms up front. Um, So very clearly like, who are we working with and who who aren't we? And also very much focused um, because I think there are many, um, you could work with like a lot of different ones. Um, My experience was like focusing on one or two per position. is like, is is, is more than enough. Um, And thereby you can also, um, you're just in way better contact You get much more kind of time share, um, mind share of the respective agency as well as the, the terms are much more of what you, what you would hope for or what you are expecting. Um, in our case, we've actually always worked performance based. I've never worked with a retainer. So it's interesting whether Teresa,
2: you've, mm. you have experienced that.
0: Yeah, what do you think, Teresa, since you've got kind of a, an even mix?
2: Yeah, we uh, we absolutely didn't do a retainer-based relationship with any of the, the agencies. We were we were pretty upfront about that. And some of them are actually quite specialist, and they only work in that way. But we said, look, if you want to work with Signal, um, these, the, these are the terms that we have to operate within. Um, we actually had exclusivity for a, a period, a short period of time as well. So that meant that if they didn't deliver in a two or three-week period, then that gave us the right. To go and use other agencies and, and, and to go and do something else and that was really important factor and uh, as mentioned by perhaps to and yourself um, ryan it was actually for specific roles so it wasn't a whole bunch of things it was you know we were trying to keep it quite tight quite specific where where we were struggling to get that level of attraction
0: excellent yeah. so let's switch gears a little bit into once you've got these employees in or even i guess taking a step back before the recruitment process happens um, what are your thoughts and your, your practices when it comes to using career paths in the company to retain the talent as you're scaling up? Because those 70 positions are probably all going to be standing in the same line for the one corporate ladder that they think they have to do to prove themselves. Uh, how, do you, how do you deal with that internally? Um, maybe, Desiree, you can let us know since you've, you've got the five years plus with your company. How are you, you scaling the career path as a carrot?
2: Teresa, uh, I think it's more you, valuable the question. I'll pick, I'll pick that up, to Sarah, yeah. Um, so, so yes, I mean, it is really difficult because you're coming in. What you want to ensure is that you've got a reasonably flat structure, is that fair to say, so that, you know, people have got the autonomy that they, they want in coming into a, a scale-up. Um, having said that, however, there is still a, a need to th- always be futuristic in the thinking around how you re- retain that talent piece. And I think that there are certain areas that you can actually offer this compared to others. So if I look at um, on the sales side, for example, starting to think about our business development representatives or our lead generation team. Uh, So where can they be in sort of a 12 to 18 months time? Well, they can be um, like an inside sales manager um, or, you know, so like looking after that SME market and then they can grow to be the bigger solutions or business development uh, management uh, represent uh, managers as such. So they can start to deal with the big corporate. So, so there is a bit of a trajectory there for, for that level coming in. And I think actually all startups and scale-ups can, can offer that because it's inevitable that you will grow in sales numbers uh, and to actually retain the, t- the knowledge in the organization, we must be doing something with them rather than just letting them go because we haven't got anything else for them to go to. Um, I think it's, um, you know, it's like, it's probably less viable in engineering, unless of course, you have defined uh, your tiers. So you've got like principal, you've got lead engineer, you've got a senior engineer, you've just got a software engineer. So if you've defined it in that way, and they are sort of like starting to learn and transition and demonstrate some of the required competence in those four different areas, then that could be, that's definitely a possibility around sort of, again, attracting and retaining the uh, engineering capacity. So I think, you know, time will tell, but I think, you know, it's possible in a couple of camps, but not all.
0: And the magic question, and it's essentially in Desiree, I'd I'd be curious your thoughts on this as well. How, how soon do you communicate those potential tracks? Is that part of the recruitment process or do you sort of uh, wait until they get in and then evaluate and say, great, now that you're here, let me explain your, your management track. Maybe just a quick thought on what you do with that, Teresa. And then Desiree, since you're in a, in an earlier stage position, uh, if those roles aren't clearly defined, at what point do you communicate that? So Teresa, do you use that as part of your recruitment?
2: yes we we do talk about the opportunity given our size now and how old we are i think you know we do we definitely do talk about the career options um and i think that for you know if if your brand name is well known you sort of don't have much selling to do is that fair to say but -hmm. where your brand name is unknown you have a lot more because people are taking risks they're leaving bigger organizations potentially to come to you So, so you have to be talking about the opportunities that exist Uh, how bigger we're going to get. And uh, yeah, we we do talk about those at a very early stage in the process.
0: And Desiree, as a growing brand, how do you deal with that?
1: Yeah, I think actually we've started obviously um, just with a way smaller team and just everybody who's been there uh, in the past um, sort of who's joined like quite early now just is just by by definition in different positions. There's a lot of change. and so through that, there's a very good example of what's possible and sort of what different options are. And they could go sort of from just very different positions to like moving more into a people management function. And what we did in the past few months is actually define very clearly like what the different paths are. And, um, but in a kind of let's, let's say like a little higher level of just like which competencies are needed to move up um, throughout the organization. Um, and on top of that, I think um, building on what Teresa said around engineering, I think we've been also very careful to design sort of individual contributor roles, which doesn't necessarily need um, actually people management, which is an engineering, not necessarily like the it's just a different preference for, for some of our engineers. So just being very careful of like what's what actually does like um, moving up or, or, or um, changing sort of your level in the organization look like. And we start to talk about that much more um, progressively over the past few uh, months actually.
0: I think that's great insight from both of you because it's great to have both of the perspectives from a little bit earlier stage and a little bit later stage, but you're both still early stage. Now Desiree, I heard you say the word change two or three times in your answer. Mm -hmm. And I wanna wanna piggyback off that because as you have an employee come in and they're changing through the ranks, as your startup grows, you get new funding, you bring in new employees, there's change inherent within there. I guess, dealing with change as you're scaling up, but specifically when it comes to your people um, and and scaling that, Teresa, how do you manage that? Because part of the allure is that there's going to be change, but some people see that again as like, wait a minute, uh, it keeps changing. So how do you position that as an advantage for your new talent and existing talent?
2: I mean it's essential that you continue to message um, frequently so you know talk about the progress and the scale up as it's happening, Um, even in advance of that I think it's fair to say because people need that messaging, Um, you know they need to understand how the organizational design will shift how it will impact them and the way they work. And that's really important. Um, I also think that we have to and we have been doing is like raising awareness with line managers, uh, hiring managers, if you like, um, on how they spot people going through um, change where they're uncomfortable with or they're being challenged. So starting to pick out some sort of like particular behaviors that they can start to nip in the bud and help fairly quickly. And they, I mean, they can do that in a, a number of ways. But as they're going through that transition, it's really important that they accept that, you know, these people are having to let go of something that perhaps was quite precious to them at one point. And, and because it's getting bigger, it might become a little bit more frightening for them. But so we have to really respect the past and what we've got done, uh, what, what you know, what we've done to this stage and sort of, and you know, help them see the value in the move, the moving on. Um, in that instability stage, I would suggest that we it's all about business as usual and giving them direction, you know, when that's sort of like, well, i are not sure what's next, but something's coming, if that makes sense. And then the new beginning piece is very much around, you know, making sure that they don't fear any failure about what's happening next, what's coming next. So it's, it's that continuous coaching and helping and keeping informed and engaged on that.
0: Wow, that's a great, I mean, you went full spectrum, you went from being frightening, to, you know, the idea of change being frightening all the way to the fact that through messaging the change, you're helping them realize that they don't have to be afraid of that exactly. failure. Exactly. Um, Desiree, your, your thoughts on this topic?
1: Um, yeah, I think the key actually to, to managing that change is is storytelling and not storytelling in the sense of like telling um, a story, but just giving people something to work with um, in terms of like why this is happening Um, What are the reasons um, how does that tie back to the past and to the future um, is something which we've done quite excessively in terms of with like weekly and um, bi-weekly and monthly meetings where people just get informed, uh, which are structured in a similar way that people can sort of rely on a certain way of like this is how information is being Um, transported and then on top of that we've been always been super transparent in terms of like how we're doing and what we're doing and sort of just like keeping that as like one very much um, constant as a constant uh, was quite important to us and so there's like no change in transparency uh, which was was something um, we really worked on quite hard to make sure that that's happening uh, in the same way um, and I think what, what we've tried to do quite heavily is also then invest time into our like, new managers who most often haven't managed in, in, in like, the same way um, to actually help them to, to communicate as well as um, train them on how to transport why certain things are, are changing and, and how this, and, yeah, just how communication happens.
0: Yeah, well, so I'm hearing Teresa talk about messaging and you're talking about storytelling. It seems to be very much the same. Um, Mm -hmm. I was going to ask, and you mentioned the frequency at which you are communicating this story and it sounds like it's a lot. And Teresa, you mentioned that messaging is key. Um, what are the best ways you find to, to message? Is it an email? Is it a Mm in-person? Is it a phone call? Is it a variety of these things? Just if we understand that you have to create this messaging around your story, but you don't want to overload them. How do you keep that business as usual from a tactical standpoint?
2: Yeah, I mean, we uh, we do like a retro demo every two weeks and it's really, and it's like, you know, our stand-up. If well, we have many stand-ups, but this is the whole company-wide stand-up. So even though we're just under 100, we still got space at the moment for all of us to get together, which is really good. And it's really important that some of the key messages are coming out there and that the CEO and, you know, senior representatives of the organization are sharing the, you know, the whys and the wherefores and the storytelling, as as Desiri has mentioned. Um, in addition to that, we use, um, you know, uh, business bits and bytes, which is our internal sort of uh, in employee newsletter if you like.
0: Mm-hmm. and
2: we cover off uh, we cover that off as well in, within their sort of I mean, anything that's changing or coming up or anything business oriented. Uh, we also like to do it through that newsletter as well as um, stand up every two weeks.
0: Excellent. Let's dive into a topic that is the, the next logical step. You've, you've got the recruitment, you've got them in, you're messaging the change, you're, you're creating this atmosphere of business as normal in the startup chaos way. Let's fail our way through it. But at what, at, at what point do you look at professional development in the sense of personal branding? And the, the word personal branding is thrown out there a lot of different ways. And yes, it may be some YouTube star or somebody who's selling a bunch of products by, by doing an Instagram, but let's talk about the internal influence that your employees have, because the studies are showing that, you know, when employees are sharing brand messages, they go further and farther faster than if the same brand message was from the official brand channel. Um, but then there's this, how soon do you invest into the person, um, you know, in addition to the job function to really get them feeling like this professional development is valuable. And I believe Desiree, before we were just chit-chatting and you are saying everybody who goes through the development process and they get this personalized help for them as a person, they love it. But how do you, one, convince management that it's worthwhile? And then in a re- resource constrained environment, how do you find the time to invest in them when you still want to invest in their job duties and skills? So Desiree, talk to me about how you incorporate Personal branding into professional development.
1: Um, yeah, I think we very much basically on a sort of um, we actually call it performance development in terms of how performance we. Performance development.
0: Okay, I see. About, the, you know. the, the personal development or the personal <laughs> yeah. branding is a little bit different. So I like I like that spin. Okay, um,
1: and I think it's quite important to us because it's not we um, it's not all about um, what the individual wants and needs, but it's also about what sort of we as a company. Meet. we're still a startup where um there, there are many challenges to solve but we're very much taking care of like what how and, and in what way do, does somebody want to develop and um basically include that for sure in what's important also for the company and try to find that overlap. We've done so in the past few months is actually establish a system where on like a monthly basis the manager and the employee get together and talk through a pretty standardized system of like what are the elements I'm I am developing in and are and giving feedback about. Um, and what we've done is actually trying to make give something to the respective manager, which makes it easier um, and actually prepares sort of the feedback and the development conversation in a way that it's that it's tangible but sort of just easy to do, and at the same time that the employee gets sort of a personalized approach about like where they want to develop, um, and then we basically follow up on that on a, on a yeah monthly basis, and what we found is actually that is a very good. Uh, connection between what, where people want to develop once it's clear where they also have to develop um, and then also add certain elements of we are a startup there's so much to do and so much you could be doing if you wanted to um, and so uh, combining that like really um, goes a very long way as of now people feel, feel quite empowered through that way.
0: And it almost seems like that that process has a bit of discovery to it where you're you're working with the employee And then it seems like that might be able to have you identify some of their core strengths that you might be able to patch into another spot of the company. I like that. Now, Teresa, do you use the word personal branding or do you also have a creative Mm -hmm. term for it internally?
2: Um, not quite um, as creative uh, as we might like yet. I say that yet because like uh, the- it, it is something that we are working on, but um, we, we haven't got a, a sort of like a, a hugely sort of onerous performance management program that DeZiri had sort of uh, referred to there. Um, however, what, what is becoming obvious now is that, you know, by, by, by the end of this year, we will have to have something that's a little bit more sort of manageable given the numbers that we have. Um, however, we 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 do like personal branding in a a number of different ways, albeit that we might not use the term personal branding. Um, In the retro demos that I spoke about earlier every two weeks, we without doubt have like a a product enhancement uh, or product build. And it's really imperative for our product managers and our engineers or data scientists to have the ability to step up, stand in front of a hundred people and tell them the story around the change and bring it to life a little bit more and translate that tech language into something that's a little bit more communicable for broader audiences. Um, and to help them with that, we, we are, um, and we have li- literally just initiated, initiated a program of um, development around impact and confidence with audiences. And actually, kicks off in October so we're not there yet but we've got something in in the plans for that and I think that will really help around personal branding and having the confidence to be able to step up and do that. Um, In other things that we do our engineers do get involved with meetups And being able to stand up at the meetup in front of a bunch of, you know, sort of like people of their own ilk, if you like, albeit not from Signal, but in the market generally and and start to, uh, you know, talk specifically around a sort of like a a project or some research, Uh, especially our data scientists as well. They too get involved in that. And that's a lot more about their personal brand than it is about maybe Signal. It might be a little bit about Signal, how we're using that.
0: Mm. uh, But
2: actually, we are are posting that as a presentation by that engineer by that data scientist, by that product manager, into the marketplace. Um, We also issue issue messages through our Signal platform on Signal, but it's actually the individual who's doing that. So that might be a non-techie person, it could be more likely to be our salespeople, but actually they are talking specifically perhaps around a client or a piece of news or a topic or a sentiment. um, And they're actually using the Signal platform as a way of sort of developing their, uh, their self. And getting their brand name out in the market as well. So there's a few different things that's going on. Um, but yeah, perhaps not labeled as personal branding as we might like to, but I'll nick it. Thank you very much.
0: Yeah, <laughs> no, I like that. And and I think that you know you can just leverage your accent. And it's not personal branding, it's personal branding, right? You can, <laughs> you can just just flip it a little. No, those are some great, those are some great examples. And I love it when I see companies that are helping to support their employees' expertise that might happen outside of the office. Mm. But own that and and share it, which really shows a commitment from the company side. You know, other things I I encourage companies to do is encouraging your employees to post on LinkedIn, right? Maybe asking them to give a a talk on their expertise when when you have an opportunity to be at a conference or sponsoring or something like that. So I I think that's, that's very honorable to bring them involved in that mix. And it really leads to kind of my second to last question, which is in order to create an environment where people feel comfortable building their brands, as well as building the business, there's got to be this culture of learning, right? Mm-hmm. You're bringing in people saying, we want you to be an expert. But when you get in here, um, yeah, yeah, put the expert back down. We want to get you um, more well-rounded, or we really want to mm. focus on how we can get better. And I always find that's a, a, a tough balance because you're bringing people in for their expertise. But as soon as they walk in the door, you want to help them become just a little bit different or, or you know, rough out the edges or something like yeah. that. So, Desiree, how do you how do you create the culture of learning within an environment that you're bringing in experts, but then it's uh, sometimes there's room for, uh, you know, for learning, essentially?
1: Mm-hmm. Um, I think actually through a yeah, combination of factors, I think firstly by being quite clear on like what the employee wants to develop in or like wants to learn more in and we have people who've like um, taught themselves um, Python while they were sort of with us in like a different role and, and we basically encourage the different um, different employees actually to like, learn from each other in that way, Um, which is something we do then we try to like, bring in external speakers as well as mentors to just like share um, uh, what just bring in new ideas as as like basically a more like external source of inspiration and learning as well as for the respective teams we try to acquire um, people who just like bring forward ideas and just like test and challenge their thinking. Um, And then sort of from a more personalized view, uh, we um, do have sort of certain just offers, which makes it easier to like uh, yeah, subscribe to certain online learning classes and things like that. Like more of the budget, we uh, sort of from uh, like buying books and all of that. That's just part of the learning culture, what we have. Um, and, and then I think um, as a last point, it's just, we very much celebrate learning in terms of like a growth mindset and like the idea that you are able to expand quite, vastly if you, can, if you need to and if you want to and so we basically just celebrate that on a monthly basis on like how people have done that and, and show that also to the company
0: great and and teresa how do you create systems that support the professional development but in the way that people are going to actually like to do it right how do you yeah. create that that culture of learning where people are excited instead of like it, it seeming more burdensome on top of the work that they're doing
2: yeah I mean it is it is around the environment you know uh, for me it's I mean there's a couple of things but the environment is really important so um, and and what we do here in Signal, we have a really collaborative environment and what we want people to understand is that you're not just coming in as a, an expert in engineering or data science or you know whatever you're actually coming into problem solve and to problem mm. solve means that you need to pick up a number of skills you know yeah. it's like listening to others for as simple as listening to others taking other people's views on on point um, being a little bit more accepting to uh, and respect diverse thoughts and ways of doing things um, and you know reaching compromise and negotiation so you have to give up something that you perhaps or you thought was the right thing for you but actually no it's it's really ensuring that you've got that collaborative way of reaching a, 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 like a, a resolution to a problem together as a team Um, We also do uh, peer-to-peer mentoring um, within our engineering team and data science team and they do that really well, so uh, we'll we'll have someone who's just slightly more advanced than the other, if that makes sense, or in some cases they could be on the same level, but they're coming together and they're actually having this open conversation once a month about what they've struggled with or what they're trying to get through, so we invest the time. Uh, monthly and making sure that happens um, we're introducing buddies so at the at the onboarding level uh Desiree may already have this in but starting to bring the buddies in a little bit more on engineering and non-engineering is going to be really important for us um, so again they've got the comfort of getting or well, gaining confidence around the environment and getting to know who best to work with or to find more information out about so that self-discovery that self-learning is really important we want to continue to create that um, we have a library like like Desiri discussed in terms of books and everyone, you know, adds to that. Uh, we've got funds for that. And we've also actually got some funds for professional qualifications or, or, or development, you know, development that is needed to have them in their jobs. So, so we do invest uh, in pounds and pence as well.
0: So I feel like, and I want to be transparent here. I feel like I want to transcribe this podcast and then we're <laughs> just going to turn it into a book. Okay. Wow. Like, this is it. Like it, this is really professional personal development 101. I mean, all these things from peer mentoring to giving them, you know, um, social media love on the stuff they're doing to creating their own platforms to having libraries to having budgets for certifications, like all this stuff. And it's, it's great to just hear it and say it out loud. So my final question is, is one that's fun, because you have a chance to talk to your younger self as you're on the first day of the job. And you want to give yourself advice to maybe Save the biggest issue that you've dealt with so far or give you a head start that you wish you had when you started. Desiree, what would that piece of advice be? And then um, I'll just secretly record this clip and then just send it to everybody else that I know and they'll be better off. (laughs)
1: Uh, I think in my case actually investing um, quite early into um, systems which can help you so um, (laughs) I think uh, for me I'm working uh, with like an ATS as well as an HRS and just being sort of much more um, like um, instead of doing everything yourself, which I, I did when I was first joined, just like investing like earlier in that because it just saves you time and you're able to automate a lot of like administration, which is not what you should spend your time with um, in the people in control. Like it's just not what like brings most value. And so just investing in that, um, I think
0: I would, uh,
1: yeah, automation in terms of administration, it's it's not as inspirational, but it's quite important, I think.
0: No, but it frees up the time for you to do the inspirational work. So that's not missed there. You all know. right and then teresa what, what do you think i love that you laugh so i'm assuming you're yeah. going to have that advice <laughs> well, there,
2: yeah definitely i mean there's three things for me uh, i mean the first and foremost is like you know uh the talent acquisition is a really critical part of uh, uh, startup scale up and actually it is imperative that you have the right capabilities doing that um you know one who's got the headhunting expertise Market knowledge, the network, who can make that whole thing come to life quite uh, well, a little bit easier than perhaps I've experienced, if I be honest. So uh, looking back at my younger self, uh, first and foremost, right capabilities. The second thing I absolutely uh, agree with Desiree, you know, sort of like um, automation. We've got to invest earlier and influence leadership a little bit more on the tools to do the job, you know, whether that be from a HR information system perspective or a tracking system um, or correct licensing, whatever it is. Um, But it's really critical that we get that right. And I would say the third thing for me actually is, actually use contracting more like as in you know contracting people more so maybe vary the type of contract that you're bringing people in on um because when you're going from startup to scale up you need different capabilities at different times and you know sometimes we're not always able to transition um some capabilities to the next level or to what we need them to do now and i'm just wondering if there's more scope for contracting at the front end until we get to a little bit more of a stable place, and then start to bring that permanent talent in—that's a bit more experienced. So brilliant,
0: a good- brilliant closing chapter to our book here. So, if I were to recap this all, and and I'm going to, I think it comes down essentially to where it all starts, which the whole conversation starts, which get it's getting the right people in to help get the right people in. And you're perfect examples of that. You've got to have people like you that are managing the process, whether it's internally or whether it's uh, having the ability to manage outside resources to do that for you. Then it comes to systems. And we talked about, yes, not only these automation systems, but it sounds like systems for tracks uh, of employees when they come in, systems for professional and personal development, tracks and systems so that people can see that there is method within the madness, granted, it's, it's madness. And that's kind of what's fun and appealing about it. And then finally is this idea of storytelling and messaging, because what it sounds like you're doing is that by investing into your employees, their certifications, their professional development, their personal interests, their strengths that they have, you're actually helping them become part of the story. And that's what I think, that's what I'm hearing. You have these weekly meetings, you have these, you know, full company standups, but it's not just the CEO that's sitting there saying what's going on. You're dealing with engineers, giving them a stage to speak on a public platform. You're giving people who wouldn't necessarily be able to showcase um, their involvement in the project, but you're giving them that step up. And for me, that ability to bring your employees into the storytelling by making them part of the story is one of the most important things that'll keep them around. And it'll help to build uh, your growth because I always find that the best employees probably come from the best employees, right? And (laughs) that goes back up to number one if you get the right talent to bring in the right talent, the talent that you have will help to bring in more talent. It's the, it's the four talent rule that I just made up. <laughs> well, so if, if somebody wanted to find a, more about you guys, your company, what's the best way to reach out to you? Can people come and, and knock on your LinkedIn door and say hi, for sure. or what, what would sure, be that yeah. one point of contact? Cause I think people are going to want more. So um, yeah. Desiree, LinkedIn. how do we get in touch with you? So LinkedIn for Teresa, Desiree. Yeah,
1: same here. LinkedIn is easiest.
0: Okay. Well, I'm going to go connect with you guys right after this and hopefully have a conversation. Maybe I can come speak at your guys' uh, place and get everybody riled up. But this has been a great example of how we have these, these scale-up heroes, people who are in the midst, flying around with their capes, uh, taking a moment, a break to tell us what to do behind the scenes. If you want to see more of this, check out scaleupacademy.io. My name is Ryan Fullen, and we're here with Desiree and Teresa and we're all going to co-author this book. It'll be great. <laughs> and we'll, let you, we'll let you know when it comes out. But for now, you got right. this Facebook Live. All right. Well, everybody have a great day. Um, hopefully you. it stops raining uh, in Berlin and hopefully it starts raining in London.
2: And- <laughs> I hope not. <laughs>
0: <laughs> all right, everybody. Bye, well, right. We'll- thank you, Ryan. Thanks to Sarah. We'll so see you there. Thank
2: you. All right.
0: Bye, bye. now. Bye.